HSD are experts in delivering tech solutions to the vet sector, working with clients such as the Department of Education, Skills and Employment, ASQA and the VRQA. HSD understand the complexities of VET, its systems and data. We specialise in systems integration, customer relationship management systems, Microsoft platforms and migrating organisations to the cloud. So whether you're looking for advice on integrating your systems, meeting your data reporting requirements or looking to gain insights into your stakeholders, HSD are here to help. Visit hsd.com.au or follow us on LinkedIn. From Claire Field and Associates, I'm Claire, and I'm pleased that you could join me for this episode of What Now, What Next? Insights into Australia's tertiary education sector, episode 70. And in this week's episode, I'm speaking with Dr. Lizzie Knight from Victoria University on why and also how we need to think differently about that. You'll hear in the interview A, that I was in London when we were recording, and B, that there were a few sound quality issues. Apologies, hotel Wi-Fi is not always as reliable as it needs to be. And in fact, there have been a few instances during this trip where I've reflected with genuine fondness on the performance and now reliability of my MBN cable at home, which is saying something but is probably a topic for another podcast. If you're interested in the topics Lizzie discusses in this podcast and in the book she was lead editor on, then make sure that apart from following her on social media, that you also follow Robin Shreve on LinkedIn, as he's written a very comprehensive and thoughtful review of the book. I haven't seen it published anywhere yet. He did send me a a, a copy, uh, but do keep a lookout for it. It's well worth the read. And finally, for those of you interested in EdTech, I was in the UK for the annual EdTechX Europe conference. It was another great event, which left me with a lot to think about in terms of how EdTech is changing higher ed and VET. And I've written a fairly detailed summary of the sessions I attended on the About page of my website, clairefield.com.au. But I've also been asked to share my thoughts and reflections on the podcast for those of you who get sick of all the reading you have to do and want to muse on all things ed tech while vacuuming or mowing the lawn. So keep an eye out for that. I'll have it out shortly. In the meantime, though, here's my conversation with Lizzie Knight. A very great pleasure, and it's taken us a little while to organise this, a few uh, logistical technical difficulties, Um, but I'm very pleased to be joined today by Dr Lizzie Knight from Victoria University. And Lizzie, I wonder if you can start by telling us, uh, listeners and myself, um, a bit about your career in the sector and your current role at VU. Yeah, thanks, Claire. And it's a great pleasure to be here. And as I say, I'm coming to you um, on the traditional lands of the Yakut William people. And I acknowledge ancestors past and present. And I, and I think that that's an interesting place to start because I and sort of I maybe start from going backwards. And so I find myself back here in Melbourne um, from uh, after having spent 
quite a lot of time in the UK finishing school and working and that's really where I started to get involved in vocational um, education and um, interest in access to tertiary education so um, I can talk a little bit um, about that um, journey of um, from from so very near to where you're sitting at the moment, uh, Claire, is as a, a TEPL teacher on Oxford Street in London, teaching English um, and then wanting to go back and learn more about how um, my learning and teaching could have been improved and then getting into studying sociology of education at Middlesex University in the UK. And then I went on to do a master's in looking at professional and higher education and before retraining as a careers counsellor and coming back to home in Australia and having a lovely time in TAFE um, and higher ed doing career counselling and then um, starting my doctorate where I looked at course information um, for and how it had changed in the UK and Australia since um, we went from small rates of tertiary participation in the 70s until the 2010s when I looked did my data collection um, and that was really interesting. And I found that, you know, the course materials have really homogenized over the period of massification in those 40 years. And it was getting really harder to tell from public information sources and relying more on family capital and social and cultural capital to find out information about what choices you have as a um, young person. Um, and that sort of led me to my current role working as a research fellow at the Centre for International Research on Education Systems. Um, which I thought was going to have a lot more travel when I started in February 2020 than it did have, for reasons you can imagine. Um, and um, so my work there looks at sort of international comparisons and um, we work on vocational and tertiary education. I just finished a project looking at enrolment practices in VET, working with the Australian Disability Clearing House and Education and Training. And I'm also doing some interesting work on place-based um, employer relations and skills and jobs in the west of Melbourne. So I don't know, that's a whistle-stop tour over 20 years in tertiary education, Claire, and I'm just pleased to be talking with you and as um, an Australasian Vocational Education and Training Research Association colleague. Uh, well, it is um, a pleasure and it has been a, a whirlwind uh, ride through your career. But what I was struck with was two things. One, you've crammed an awful lot in so far and I can't wait to see where it goes next. But two, that curiosity that you have and questioning and wanting to understand things came up a, a number of times. And so with that in mind, you've also in amongst uh, other things that you've uh, been looking at. You've been doing some work looking at apprenticeships and you suggest that cadetships might be the future for work integrated learning. And I wonder if you can share with listeners some of your insights into how the traditional apprenticeship model is changing and the new kinds of higher level apprenticeships and cadetships that are becoming more popular. Fill us in. Yeah, no, thanks, Claire. And I think it's really interesting. I'm really excited to start this winter um, sort of more deep work on this um, idea of cadetships, which I've um, done some initial work drawing on work um, Peter Hurley from the Mitchell Institute, which is an associated sort of institute of sirens where I'm based, and Peter Dawkins and David Lloyd 
um, worked on with AIG in 2020, thinking about a national job cadet scheme. And I'm sort of um, starting soon a sort of second phase of that work, looking at product and looking at cadetships. But let me sort of take you back of why I'm interested in that and why I think that that's important is um, my master's and my work was looking at sort of professional education and I was very lucky to work with David Guile, um, who's a British sort of expert in that kind of vocational and taking vocational in a very broad um, understanding of the word of thinking about it as vocations and, and how we train for certain tasks and occupations. And I think there's been a lot of developments in the UK, as you've been aware, and many of your listeners would be about degree apprenticeships, graduate apprenticeships, and just thinking about that need in the future of work for more work-engaged learning um, and looking at different models, how, how that can work. And from my days as a careers counsellor and in TAFEs and also in tertiary institutions, I think it's been really interesting thinking about talking to young people and, you know, older mature students about the real joy they get from putting their learning into practice both in higher and um, vocational education and whether the apprenticeship model um, in the four-year um, uh, mode that long cycle tertiary works for us or whether there needs to be sort of more um, uh, more different engagements of work integrated learning that might be um, uh, allow students to get into the workplace quicker and so can cycle sort of problem-based learning and understanding things about that or or people who are working who like me you know when I went back to did do my bachelor's degree who um, wanted to learn more about their work and I think that's a really important part that cadetships don't have to just be initial training they can also be continuing training and I just think that um, when we're looking at um, tertiary participation rates as high as they are in Australia and the occupation and works of survey from the ABS is we're looking at oh, nearly 75% of people having some post-school qualification and, you know, people debate what that can mean, but I think that we're looking at large proportions of the workforce. Then, then we thinking need to be thinking about qualifications differently and we also know in Australia there's a long period of... Um, undergraduate study which is often much longer than other um, other countries that where people are working part-time and um, and studying part-time and some other interesting work Peter Hurley and I did um, with Michael Coelho at the University of Melbourne last year was looking at people who were working and working as managers um, and and then studying um, part-time or sort of you know three-quarter load about how their job outcomes are different so people are really doing it themselves to an extent working and studying and so maybe the tertiary institutions both vet and higher ed need to kind of um, catch up in a way um, to, to be rethinking how we think people live their lives um, in their initial and continuing training period. A very interesting and another thought that occurred to me as you were talking through that was also a, a greater use of um, cadetships and potentially higher level um, apprenticeships would also help uh, education structures and institutions with that 
adaptation uh, as the the world of work does change not in every occupation but we do we are going through um, a period of significant you know technological and digital change green economy new jobs etc it, it can take time for uh, new information to feed into to curriculum and, and structured learning plans. But if we have more people working in these occupations as they're changing and while they're studying, it seems to me that's also a useful cycle. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think absolutely. And, I mean, you know, I, I think that they have to be meaningful, but I was sort of reflecting... Um, on, I, I caught up with some colleagues at Victoria University who teach on the Master of TESOL or, you know, and I was thinking back to my teaching English days and thinking, actually, if I was have to go into a classroom now, 20 years since my initial training, I actually would want a refresher, um, thinking about digital, thinking about how we use tools now in pedagogy and um, how we use curriculum different, differently. And I think that this idea of one single monolithic three-year degree that people do, you know, um, Marion Bowl in the UK talks about this wonderful phrase, which sticks with me, of the 18-year-old bachelor boy student. And, you know, some work um, I did last year with the National Centre for Student Equity showed that one in 10 students have dependent children. Mm. Now, that sort of reflects the, the very diverse nature of higher education. And we can't still think about the full-time student who can come any time from nine to five. That doesn't suit even those bachelor boy students who are still an important kind of cohort. Um, but um, we need to think everything has been disrupted and we need to think about qualifications that you can add on um, bits and do meaningful chunks. And I'm not necessarily um, thinking that you should, you know, we should kind of splinter the qualification. I think there is something important about an idea of a qualification. Um, something magical and meaningful about that. But I don't think we need to do very long qualifications and you can sort of um, scaffold and, and layer and, and sometimes that can add to a really diverse and strong um, career um, and a career pathway that's very resilient to, to different changes um, that you know, can be beset by pandemic and need to pivot in different ways. Very interesting. And you've talked uh, a few times about long and uh, short qualifications. And I note uh, that amongst all the other things that you have been doing recently, you're also you've also been the lead editor on a new book that's just recently been launched: Equity and Access to High Skills Through Higher Vocational Education. And it draws on examples from right across, you know, different vet systems around the world. And I still haven't had a chance to read it, and I do apologize for that. But one of the things that you know we've been discussing about that book is and you've, you've touched on it in our um, chat so far today, the relative lack of short cycle qualifications in Australia where we're largely focused on longer apprenticeships and bachelor degrees, particularly for learners going into their first post-school qualification. So given that you, you know, you think we don't all need to be doing these very lengthy qualifications, can you share some examples of more innovative short cycle qualifications which other countries um, have on offer and we should be thinking a bit more about here? Yeah, great. And thanks, Claire, for, for um, letting me shoehorn the book <laughs> into this conversation. I'm very grateful and uh, in a subtle way you do that. 
Um, but yeah, so this is, I mean, I think it's interesting. And also I'd like to say that it's an example of where work-based learning can be so meaningful because I think I've learned more as lead editor with the, I mean, fabulous cast of editors um, that, you know, number Gavin Moody, Lisa Wheelerhand, Susan Webb, Anne-Marie Barthmake and Kevin Orr than I think I did in, in much of my other training put together. And working with them has really been interesting about how you craft a book and how you craft an idea um, I think as well about how you put together put together things to try and make an argument. And our argument in this book was that um, there is something missing about um, in the in the global discussion about education that we don't think about higher vocational education. And we looked at different elements of that, and we looked at different slices. Um, and, and 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 Gavin Moody talked very interestingly and technically about sort of the the um, missing parts somehow in the different sort of systems of long cycle and short cycle. It's a very learned article that's for the technical people um, and and others out there who really want to understand how these systems work. Um, and 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 I think that there's something that I'm very keen on there that we do in Australia seem to, and I'm not saying it's absolute, but seem to be really have a duopoly of um, apprenticeships and bachelor degrees very much. And we, um, a bit like our coals and woolies, and we forget, and then, and then we go immediately to, to um, micro-credentials as the only other alternative, whereas around the world, um, and there are kind of a plethora of other kind of one-year, two-year stacked credentials, embedded credentials with roll-off entry and exit points that we perhaps don't um, use enough, which to the, I think the, the detriment of employers and students and students' experience and employers' engagement in things. And we, um, and you know, from those editors, they had so many connections around the globe. Um, and I think that there, there are different um, case studies in the book, really. For example, in the Australian chapter, we um, drew on the Australian Research Council grant that Susan Webb led um, with Stephen Hodge and um, Sean Rawali, looking at higher education degrees in TAFE um, and um, looking at both their bachelor's degree, but also some really interesting graduate certificates they have um, and different innovative products of the higher education type that they're bringing up. But also we looked at sort of um, two-year diploma programs in Canada. We looked at the community college two-year um, uh, programs in the US in a very interesting article from Deb Floyd. We looked at the um, one-year post-school program called the CEGEP in Quebec, um, which is a sort of vocational kind of program after many schools. Um, in a really interesting article, um, a chapter um, that um, based in the UK, so it's both England and Scotland, um, uh, we had looked at all the different kind of higher higher apprenticeships, which are sort of different modes and looking at the kind of successes and troubles um, that they dealt with. And that was Fiona Reeve, who's at the Open University, and Jim Gallagher, who the book's dedicated to, who unfortunately passed away during the quite long process of um, collecting the book together. But um, I think that then we looked also at different systems and different institutional kind of tertiary types and the South African and Chilean chapter were very interesting about that and perhaps for Australia and I think back to sort of discussions we sort of and um, we started talking about tonight or today about um, different engagement with employers I think there was a German chapter on the um, Stuttgart model which is 
universities and higher technical um, uh, places of learning that are sort of really have employer engagement at the heart of the centre. And it's just interesting models and different ways you can play with this. And it's not, none of them are sort of, can be brought directly to Australia, but I think it just can spark ideas and um, and, and engage our minds into how you can be innovative and develop um, products and qualification types that can um, do different things for different people. I think that we need to accept the tertiary system is no longer one size fits all is really my main message. And I think that our two kind of um, product types that we're sort of going to all the time needs to be disrupted a little bit more in Australia to, to facilitate um, student experience and student students really enjoying the experience and employers feeling engaged in um, in sort of discussions about um, work and learning and what's next. Lizzie, you've done a fantastic job of really drawing um, threads together, threads from the start of how you introduced yourself and, and the work that you've done and thinking about that, that increasing diverse cohort of learners that we have now in higher education and, and in VET and how the massification of post-school study has change the student cohort and then making the case that therefore we also need to be thinking more about and changing world of work etc the the courses that we offer our students and what I really what really resonated with me was the importance of looking elsewhere not to pick something off the shelf and drop it into our system but equally not thinking that we can do it all by looking inward, which I think sometimes in the past when we've done reform in our sector is we haven't looked overseas and we haven't looked to learn from others and bring back elements of good practice. So who knows, we've got a you know, new government that's going to have a compact on higher education and it's going to need to, I think, rethink some of the funding and other arrangements in, in higher education and, you know, they're sharpening their pencils to think about what the new National Skills Agreement, Jobs and Skills Australia, et cetera, will bring. Uh, so let's hope that some of the, the good ideas that you and your colleagues are drawing together in the book and in the other research that you do uh, will be used to um, inform a bit of that disruption, which hopefully uh, might come. A bit of evidence-based disruption, I'm all for that. Uh, Lizzie, it is always so interesting to uh, to have a chat and uh, I always learn such a lot uh, from you. Um, thank you very much for your time and uh, really we'll be keeping an eye out for the work that you're doing to, to have a read and, and, and keep learning from you. Thank you. Thanks so much.